0: are getting a little bit ugly out there give, give them all a cookie and make them settle down
1: in traditional winged wheel podcast fashion as evan and i are sitting here trying to figure out an opening i ask him hey do you want to open or should i and evan goes i will say something dumb and ryan will be mad so you take the opening and that's probably the most self-aware thing that's ever been Uttered on this yeah. this show.
0: Yeah, Ryan read me the Riot Act before on our group chat and said, "Don't say anything offensive <laughs> or borderline offensive, because then he'll have to edit it." So I have to be on my best behavior today, I
1: suppose. Jokes on him. This plot, this episode will be up before he gets back from. He New has York no City.
0: power anyway. We can do whatever we wanted. Exactly. He can't stop us. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, when, Ryan.
1: Why, when did Ryan become the dad of the group? Because that used to be me. Um, Kind of morphed know. over time
0: Yeah, he kind of just slowly grasped at it and then he took it And I didn't want it, so
1: I was very happy to hand over that's that That's fair, hand. that's
0: not a role anybody wants Nobody no. wants to be the moderator except for Ryan
1: Yeah, and it's all his So uh, on today's episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast No Ryan Yeah, and not much hockey <laughs> The Red Wings did some things that um, somehow... Hurt them in the draft lottery standings um, Speaking of the draft lottery standings Somehow Detroit's won What, two of their last 14 games And moved up in the standings Yeah, not good The Eastern playoff race is getting very, very fun Especially for those final three teams Competing for the final two spots
0: The Red Wings are 2-7-1 and one in the last 10 And they have moved up a
1: spot Oh god The Toronto Maple Leafs are melting down
0: uh yeah, they had probably they have had to have a worse week than Detroit has had all year. No one's beaten the, Le- the Leafs haven't been beaten that bad in a, for an entire week. The, like the wings haven't been beat like that. What was it? We've it? been beat but not giving
1: up twenty two goals. Was it? Was it twenty-two goals in four games that yeah. they allowed? It was. Holy there was a crap. two in the front of the of the uh, the number. I don't think Detroit's done that in a four-game stretch this year. And and may I remind everybody that Detroit had a game this year where they gave up eight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not good.
1: They could have literally given up eight three times and or sorry eight twice, four and shut someone out and still, not yeah. as had a bad a week as.
0: You know what's Toronto. funny? The the Red Wings and Ottawa are both eliminated, but L.A. is not
1: mathematically That's, eliminated. That is because the West is hilariously bad.
0: <laughs> L.A. at this point, if like there's some sort of miracle, could make the playoffs and be in 29th spot right now.
1: That's horrifying. Well, we were going to talk about this later, but let's just jump into this 30th, now. 30th, sorry. The Arizona Coyotes hold a playoff spot as of this moment in the Western Conference. The Arizona Coyotes who are missing almost the entirety of their top six, a couple key defensemen, and their starting yep. goalie, and have been missing these guys long-term. Michael Grabner just came back, too.
0: Does uh, Rick Tockett win Jack Adams if they make the playoffs?
1: If Barry Trotz didn't turn the Islanders from the worst defensive team in the league to the best, Rick Tockett will win this running away, but yeah. Barry, you can't argue against Barry Trotz I at feel this like point.
0: it's going to be Trotz talk it and cooper
1: for the three this oh year. i i agree fully and i don't think there's anybody else really in the debate yeah uh, well when point. five
0: coaches have been fired this year it really cuts the list down a bit
1: yeah but hey jeff Blasio contract extension talks in the works so you oh, know that's man.
0: that's fun. i cannot wait to get my, my my twitter that day is gonna blow up because i'm just gonna start posting facebook comments on that official thread on <laughs> from facebook
1: we've reduced evan to facebook commenter and i'm I'm excited for it. Um,
0: it's it's purely for a social experiment,
1: just to see. Are you going to go on Facebook rants as pro Blashill, anti Blashill, or both?
0: I might just be the <laughs> the third party observer and just post some of the most ridiculous things I see on that
1: thread. So when you see two guys arguing, you're going to be the third guy in and just kind of massively contradict one of them and see what happens.
0: If the statements aren't Twitter worthy or aren't uh, up to my Gold standard that I'm looking for you know I can always Spark the fire a little bit
1: (laughs) Let me know When you're about to go on your tirade because I'm canceling My plans for the rest of that day I
0: think the number Of people who will spell Blashill wrong Is over 10 There will be like
1: one L in his Name or they'll forget The first L
0: yeah Yeah (laughs) yeah
1: So it'll be good oh this is gonna Be
0: you gotta make the best out of a Poor situation
1: But before we get fully into today's episode, Evan, for our patrons, you have a thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, It is March, and as most people know, we do a March Madness Bracket for... um, Prizes. Prizes, yeah. TBD. Um, So, like previous years, it's for the patrons who are at the $5 level or above. Um, I will take a look at that and send out the invites. Um, If you want to still be a part of that, you can move your donation up. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, too, of just 5 bucks, you can uh, join us and watch my world implode when someone picks a team mascot, and they're the 16th seed, and they beat the first overall seed, and I die a lot inside. so. So you mean me going for the Retrievers this year again would be a bad idea? Catherine picked the Retrievers last year, and I was like, your bracket is horrible. And I just... Roasted her I was like No 16 team Has ever done this And Virginia Is the best team In college Basketball this year And then they lost By double digits And
1: I died So she beat you In the bracket Oh yeah She had them winning The next game too And they did It was funny I actually I think if I remember Correctly Again I know basketball But I know nothing About college basketball uh, I just picked Michigan to go all the way because I like Michigan and yep. they actually went to the finals so I did all right every yeah. other pick I made I think it was awful but
0: yeah there's always like for me it's always like one region is just completely red and
1: it's just like well that team was supposed to go to the finals so now I'm out well, that's the problem with the bracket is if if you get like, three teams wrong in one division you're you're done yeah it doesn't matter you're done
0: college March Madness is easily one of the most exciting times of this of the sports calendar because all the teams are super close together in skill
1: and you see a lot more upsets than you used to and it's it's super exciting and I really enjoy it and it's not that different from junior hockey in Canada you have young inexperienced players and with young inexperienced players comes mistakes and with mistakes comes Exciting sports.
0: Yeah, you see
1: those random Kitchener Rangers series
0: where they weren't supposed
1: to win and they, they end up with
0: taking a series because it's just sixteen to twenty year olds who don't handle pressure like a professional athlete would.
1: Do you see Kitchener's first round playoff matchups established?
0: Uh, no. Guelph. That will be an absolute bloodbath. I'm ready for it.
1: I'm gonna that watch. Will... Every game on TV. I'm gonna
0: try and get out to a couple of the games. I went to the game on Friday night where they scored nine. Oh, where Yansis got his fiftieth after he got four goals.
1: Yeah. Four. Two games left in the season. He's sitting on forty six and he pops four in that second last game to hit fifty.
0: And uh Owen Sound was up two nothing pretty quick within yeah. the first like ten minutes, and then they
1: scored eight unanswered. The craziest thing about Jonathan Yansis scoring fifty goals this year is last season he had eight. Yeah. Is he drafted? No. He's like, he's like a double overager, though, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. So, anyways, let's talk about the Red Wings, because we are a Red Wings podcast, right? Um, yes. <sighs> Unfortunately. So, they came against the Islanders yesterday. Ryan Kuffner made his NHL debut, the first, the first of the two NCAA signings from Kenny Holland. And he played seven minutes and something seconds. So he might
0: actually have potential if that's the amount of minutes he played. If he didn't have any shot of ever making this team, he would have been in double, double and a half.
1: It means he might have some offensive potential but might be uh, uh, not so strong on the defense side of the puck, so Blashill's having none of it. Yeah, yeah. No, to be fair, though, this was a a kid who... um, Literally was playing with Princeton earlier in this week. Signed his first pro contract. Came to Detroit. I think had like two days worth of practices before they threw him into lineup. What a if, week! If there's ever a time where it's justified to play a rookie seven minutes a night, that's seven? the time. I'll get. I'll cut Blashill slack on that one.
0: Seven, even seven minutes seems like a lot given his that guy's week. Like he was basically in a university less you know, less than ten days ago, less than seven days ago, less than seven. So. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Like, then play 7 plus minutes. Uh what do you say like that's amazing.
1: Well, even um he he's not making his debut till Tuesday against the Rangers, I believe they said, but uh Taro Hiroshi could not get to Detroit as quickly as Kufner because uh the day after Kuffner left, Hiroshi had to write an exam.
0: Wow. He does did he goes to Michigan State, right? Hiroshi? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it doesn't really matter that much there. <laughs> <laughs> Can
1: you tell? Apparently, mistakes. anybody
0: gets into school in, in the United States these days as long as you have some insides, insider trading. Oh God,
1: the the NCAA uh, school system and admission system not that different from um, Canadian minor hockey AAA. Yeah. That's if weird. you have wealthy parents, you're just in. Yeah. Anyways, Good times. so I, I would love to sit here and on this episode give everybody a deep dive into Ryan Cuffner, but. Um, Nothing much happened with him. He he didn't look out of place. He didn't do anything dynamic. I will chalk that up to a, this is what we expected.
0: Yeah, and I don't think we'll see much deviation or upward trend going forward. I mean, if he does, great. But, I mean... (laughs) I think he will be someone for the, the Grand Rapids Griffins going Next
1: forward. season. Even yeah. though he's finishing, him and Hirose are finishing this season in Detroit, unless one of them absolutely lights the world on fire, I would expect both of them to spend the entirety of next year in Grand Rapids.
0: I don't know if it was just uh, a talking piece that is a formality, but I think it was either Ken Holland or Jeff Blashell said both of them will compete for spots
1: next year. They say that every year.
0: Yeah, I, I, I thought so, but it was still... Slightly surprising.
1: Remember, also this year, um Haronik, Choloski, Sulak, yeah. Hickett, Zadina, uh, everybody was fighting for spots and how many of them actually stopped?
0: Yeah. You know, I guess it's <laughs> You don't want to say about a prospect that they have no chance of making the team, so you kind of just Say things to say
1: things. Now they do have a leg up on everybody else um, who like Valeno and whatever prospects might be competing for a spot next year because they are getting this 10 game window right. to get a head start. So if if Hiroshi comes in Tuesday and over the final 10 games puts up four or five points... <laughs> he probably actually would be a front-runner to make the team next year over a Valeno or whoever else because he's shown that he can do it at the NHL level, right? Yeah,
0: and even just having those 10 games played at this
1: point, like 10 pro games, that's a lot compared to someone who has zero or one. and it was was funny. Even though he only played seven minutes, not that I'm criticizing him because it's absolutely to be expected, but there were a couple times where you could see Kuffner got the puck and like he turned or did whatever to make the play. And then he got knocked off the puck right away. So you can see he's like, yeah, right. Everything's faster here. Everybody's stronger. He just didn't have that reaction time up to par yet. So again, for both of them getting that over the next ten games, it's they know what they'll need to focus on in the summer. Right? I got to be faster and I got to be stronger. Basically,
0: yeah, basically, what everybody tries to do in the summer,
1: right? Except uh, us, but you know, yeah. <laughs> so and the um, amount of light beers I crush in the summer is out of control. <laughs> Uh, and we didn't even mention why or how Kuffner got in the lineup on Saturday because a spot opened up, even on the power play, which is why Kuffner was on the power play, because just an applicator broke a bone in his foot, I believe, and is likely done for the season. Wow. So he finishes the season with six goals. Wow. Sorry, six, seven, seven. He scored against Tampa. Was it seven?
0: Was that a six? I think that might have been
1: a six. Uh, it was his first goal in 41 games is what oh. I remember.
0: That's like half a Shea except shahan almost caught his entire
1: totals in one game (laughs) yeah so i'm not gonna okay first of all one little gripe i have Ah, sorry ryan we can
0: dump on applicator today
1: one little gripe i do have for uh, a lot of people on twitter when everybody was saying when the news broke that applicator was injured, they're like good don't be that jackass who's happy someone gets hurt if they healthy scratched applicator i'm happy but i don't you don't ever want to see anybody get injured even if it's a worst player on the team. People were doing the same thing right the very second Jonathan Erickson got hurt in the game against I can't remember if it was Tampa or the game before. Don't do that. These are still people. Nobody here hates Justin Abdelkader the person.
0: I don't think you're going to change people's ways by trying to explain it right now.
1: Yeah, we we hate Justin Abdelkader the contract. Yeah. Even so much, even maybe go so far as to say the player, but not the person. So you don't, and don't, don't him and his wife have a newborn?
0: Uh, yeah. So kind of. Relatively new, yeah.
1: Yeah. Parenting on one foot does not sound easy. I can barely do it on two. Yeah. So yeah, enough of that garbage. But so yeah, anyways, back to dumping on him. 19 so he if that is the end of his season he finishes six goals 13 assists 19 points in 71 games and 4.25 million dollars richer
0: i would be very interested to see what his total time on ice is and so actually you know what i would rank the team by time on ice and see what the point totals are for the other people who have similar toi did you just do it
1: (laughs) No, oh, I thought I, you did. <laughs> I'm not doing that on my phone. I actually just pulled up the the team's actual leading point getters, and this is going to be one of the saddest seasons in Red Wings history, as it looks like <clears throat> only two players are going to finish above 40 points.
0: That's not how you
1: win at hockey. You need dynamic everywhere. L- Larkin's got 62. Athanasius got 44. And then after those guys, the two, the four closest players to hitting 40 points are in order. Bertuzzi, Vanek, Mantha, Nielsen who have 34, 34, 33 and 33 respectively. Holy shit. 10 games left, one of them needs to go on a real heater to get to 40 Ooh, points. That's not good. That is less than ideal. Mind you, uh Bertuzzi and Mantha both missed a decent amount of time due to injury, so uh, yeah, I know Mantha yeah. missed almost 2 months, but
0: Yeah. and it's so hard to get back in the swing of things after 2 months off. Like he is looked upon to be a goal scorer, and it's very hard to get goal scoring again when you've been hurt. It's hard to yeah. score when you're healthy. All year. Look a yeah. yeah. Applicator.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, look at Larkin in the game against the Islanders. He wasn't bad, but he sure as hell didn't look like himself. Yeah, it's tough. It's super tough. Mind um, you, we had Darren Helm back on his line, so you know that didn't help anything. But yeah, we had what was that game? We had a. <laughs> this is one of the times I legitimately sympathized with Blashell and didn't want to dump over his lines too much, even though I did kind of throw some criticism out there. Uh, Because we had first-liner Darren Helm. We had second-liner Luke Lindenning. We had third-liner kid who was in college six days ago. And we had fourth-line that barely qualifies as an AHL second-line. Remember
0: when we thought he was playing Darren Helm on the first line as a trade bait maneuver? God, we're dumb. (laughs) That did not work at all. This was real. This was not some sort of 4D chess.
1: Nope no but anyways we can sit here and get into the negatives all we want but let's get into a positive Leagues there's a suck <laughs> no, no no we're gonna stick with detroit positives because there actually is one from this weekend other than the fact that they uh, had a close game against tampa and beat the islanders andreas Athanasiu had two more goals against the islanders and now has 10 games to score four goals to hit 40 on uh 30 on the year so him and larkin that'd be are, pretty nuts him and Larkin are both within striking distance, and we have not had a 30-goal score since 2009. This is a nothing statistic in a nothing season. That means absolutely nothing, and it's like the only reason I'm watching anymore is I want Larkin and Athanasiou to hit it.
0: So <laughs> let's see if that's possible. We play the Rangers.
1: Okay, Athanasiou's we, done well against them in the we past. We play St. Louis. That's not ideal. We play Vegas. It's not ideal.
0: We play San Jose. It's not ideal. Buffalo. Hey! New Jersey. Hey! Boston, Yeah. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Buffalo. Eh, eh, eh. So it, it, maybe we have that one game where we get four or five goals somewhere, somehow, and it happens. Well, at least it's, it's a narrative that's exciting to finish up the season.
1: It, it, it gives us a reason to watch, which is honestly what I need at this point. And I don't mean to sound this like uh, in a dickish, facetious way. I don't have any reasons left to watch this team this year. Uh, sure, watching Kufner and Horosi will be interesting. I don't particularly want wins at this point because Detroit wins one, like two games at a 14 and somehow moves up in the standing. So that's just yeah. infuriating to me. But you need something. And having to see when Larkin's chase for 30 is something.
0: Yeah. It, I, I think the hardest part about being a fan of a weak team is how uninteresting their hockey games are.
1: That, even though they beat the Islanders, that game was the cure for insomnia. Yeah. You get the most boring, defensive minded team in the league going up against a team that's basically incompetent offensively outside of about four players at this point. The Islanders still shot Detroit like 44 to 25 or whatever it ended up being. At one point in the second period, it was 30 to 12, which was eerily reminiscent of an Islanders Red Wings game earlier this year. Which the Red Wings got that game to a shootout, and then they ended up winning this game. The Islanders, what are you doing? Fair warning, I am also going to throw this out there before the playoffs start. I don't care who the Islanders play in the first round; I am betting against them. Oh yeah, even if they win the division and are playing the Hurricanes, I am picking the Hurricanes.
0: Yeah, the Hurricanes are fun, though.
1: The Hurricanes are fun. They curled for the storm surge. They're a bunch night. of jerks. Bunch of jerks, but the Islanders. Okay, so this is. I just remembered. This is the one thing I wanted to talk about while watching the game yesterday. The Islanders are what Ken Holland should be watching right now. No shit. Not that I'm saying the Red Wings are as skilled a team as the Islanders because the Islanders have a Matt Barzell. The Red Wings Yeah, but that all came through the draft. It did. But the the reason I want Ken Holland to watch this is the Islanders on paper before the season were going to be a dumpster fire. We were picking them for bottom five in the East comfortably. Their fourth
0: line is eerily reminiscent to ours, but they score a lot of goals.
1: This They are the poster children right now for what good coaching can do. You can have an unskilled team and still do well with a proper coach. I'm not saying Barry Trotz would have brought the Red Wings roster to where the Islanders are, but they could be competing for a playoff spot right now. I Obviously, in the long run of things, I understand the season playing out how it did is better. But if it gets back to those Blashill contract extension talks... Even if you are on the camp of Blashill was handcuffed by a bad team, which he was. Oh, yeah. So was Barry Trotz. Watching that game again on Saturday against the Red Wings reaffirmed my opinion on that because the Islanders are not skilled. They are bad. Matt Barzal is fantastic. Anders Lee is great around the net. Pulak's underrated on defense, and and Nick Letty's pretty good. There's not a lot else there.
0: Robin Leonard also put on an absolute clinic this season.
1: Yeah, well, he, well, he hasn't played the last six games and
0: Oh, I know, oh, I, know Ro- I know. He's on my fantasy team.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's hard to justify bringing a mediocre coach along. Again, I'm going to circle back to the point I made two months ago on the podcast where the arguments on Facebook and Twitter and wherever you go on the internet about Jeff Blashillers falls into two games. Pro-Jeff Blashill, who blames a bad team on why he's got a poor record... And anti-Blashill, who says the team is bad because of Blashill. And I'm going to sit here in the middle and say both can simultaneously be true. Yes, Blashill was not going to succeed with this team no matter what. Yes, he's not helping his case at all. If Barry Trotz comes to the Red Wings next year, obviously he's not. But if he did, I'm not going to sit here and say the team's not competing for a playoff. Why don't I
0: just say Joe Quenville? Joe Quenville comes.
1: Detroit could be a fringe playoff team next year. If the Islanders with that roster that they have assembled right now we're i think in the division lead as <laughs> recently as this week
0: yeah they're only 2 points back i think
1: yeah. come on like vegas last year we was the argument but then looking that they're doing it again this year still is kind of a really good argument for it but i think the islanders are an even bigger argument for it cuz the vegas had the benefit the benefit of a lot of players having career years And a lot of those guys are keeping it up this year, and they added Paul Stastny, Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, etc. Yeah, horrible. Horrible. (laughs) Horrible. But the Islanders, Anders Lee had a stronger season last year. Matt Barzal had a stronger season last year offensively. But they're in the division lead this year.
0: Is that more of a symptom of the Metropolitan Division, though?
1: I think it's a symptom of two things. I think it's a system of a, a symptom of a more defensive system and yeah, a weaker division for sure.
0: I don't watch enough Islanders games to really make a comment, but you know, I'll make a comment anyway. <laughs> Just cuz they're defensive and winning games, does that make them an exciting team to to cheer for though? No, like they're... nobody cared about the the Devils when all they did was trap when they scored one goal in the first 2 minutes. Nobody
1: cared about the Devils except for Devils fans. Devils fans. Yeah. So if the Red Wings turned into a boring team like they are now, but we're winning, so I'm what, fine with that. So what do we <sighs> I want the NHL as a league to get more exciting, but if you do not have the skill level to be an exciting team, which let's be honest, the Red Wings do not. No, certainly. You have to adapt.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're not exciting now, so what's going to a more defensive structure and still being boring but winning games?
1: This is true. Now, uh, just for a point you made earlier, I just wanted to pull this up where you were talking about whether the Islanders being good was a symptom of the Metropolitan Division or not, based on their current point totals, they would lead the Central Division. Hmm. They'd be, they're would be they ahead of Winnipeg and Nashville right now.
0: But they wouldn't play
1: teams in the Metro as much. No, but they would play the dumpster fire that is the Western Conference teams a lot. That's true. They would get a lot more games against the Minnesota, Chicago's, Colorado's, Edmonton, Vancouver, Anaheim's, LA's of the world. Who, who's an easy win in the Eastern Conference this year? I would argue Ottawa, Detroit, New Jersey, Buffalo lately. That's about it.
0: Yeah. Buffalo was on a real heater for a while, too.
1: They, well, they had that stretch, but yeah. Where Jeff Skinner looked like a 50 plus goal scorer. He's still going to hit 40, probably. Yeah. Dark horse candidate for the Red Wings to sign in the offseason. So basically,
0: what we've, to summarize, we should throw infinity money
1: at a good coach. Which they might think is Jeff Blashill. Yeah. Yeah, because again, it's you always argue Coach judging a coach is the hardest thing to do. Because even myself, as a very staunch anti-Blashill guy, again, anti-Blashill the coach, not the person. I find myself quite often second-guessing myself and rethinking things and going, like watching X player do this or that and go, Christ, maybe I've been wrong. Maybe the team's just bad. But then I see a lot of the decisions he makes on a day-to-day basis and go, right, that's why. But yeah. but we don't know. I don't know. Nobody, everybody who opposes me doesn't know. Nobody knows. Unless it's coaching. It's subjective.
0: Unless you have a vision into what's going on behind the scenes, everything to us looks completely different than what it could actually be going on. He could be getting a ton of internal pressure to play X, Y, and Z. And he's like, well, shit, I really want to play A, B, and C. And he's just handcuffed it. We don't know. That, uh, that's a theory, but maybe not.
1: I, t- I doubt that one very much because if I was the Red Wings gym right now, I'd be yelling at him to develop the kids. Screw the abdicators and the helms of the world. But then it could also be, hey, Holland's like, hey, we're paying these guys, com- like Nielsen, uh, Helm, and Abdicator combined $13 million this year. Get them out there.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. We, it's all conjecture. We don't know. We
1: don't know. And nobody will ever actually know and anybody who says they know and have a definitive answer i'll just grow
0: a mustache and i'll go undercover
1: yeah that's the plan the only time i can ever definitively say whether a coach is doing a good or bad job is when you get a situation like the islanders and it's like okay nothing changed on the team the roster got worse and they skyrocketed in the either have
0: a really bad team who overperforms and you're like oh it's because the coaching decisions have elevated this team or You've got a really good team who underperforms, and you're like, what the hell is this coach doing? It's very hard to, to measure the gray area where the team's not that good. They don't really do a hell of a lot. So what is the, the contributing factor to the results?
1: I don't know. Nobody knows. Not me. So let's talk about that lottery division and full of bad teams.
0: Hey, um, one thing I think I saw on Twitter is, would, would it be wouldn't it be cool if at the end of the last home game... They announced Larkin as the captain. Would that be fun? I think that he, if they're going to do it, at least do it when he's, like, suffered through the season. He's
1: almost got the McDavid stare. That would be cool, but would it Would it not be more cool to go through training camp and preseason next year? They don't say anything, and then he just skates out with the sea at the season opener.
0: I think if he did it at the end of the season, too, it would almost have the same effect and we'd at least have something to look forward to it's like now it's Larkin's team although we already know that here we go we're we're starting something
1: but again do do it in front of 20,000 people at the home opener or (laughs) or 12,000 people at the final game Uh, yeah the crowd goes mild (laughs) well didn't Tampa do that when they traded St. Louis the next game Stamkos just skated out with the seed like they didn't make an announcement or anything he just Uh, had it
0: yeah Tampa don't handle the St. Louis thing that well.
1: <laughs> I think they handled the St. Louis thing very well.
0: Well, not not saying anything was probably the best, considering he did not leave on great terms.
1: Hey, listen. Steve Iserman was in charge then. They handled it well. Anyway. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, my God. We forgot to even talk about uh, in the in the overview. Friedman had something interesting to say. I did say. not see it. You did not? Okay. Well, allow me to blow your mind so during the 31 thoughts podcast this week which was actually a live event for them elliot friedman made a, a guess so this wasn't anything that he said was from a source or anything but he said if steve Eisman comes back to detroit it will not be as gm that's
0: w- what i've been thinking too
1: yeah that's what i've been saying but he threw a curveball in here he said he would come back as a, a pre- the president in a similar role to what brendan shane is in Toronto. But he would be bringing Pat Verbeek with him as his GM. What does that mean? It means that he's a big fan of Pat Verbeek. He's got a lot of time for Pat Verbeek, and he would want him as his GM. Why do we want Pat Verbeek as our GM? I don't. I'm a, if Steve Eisman says he's good at what he does, <laughs> I will take him at his word because I don't. Pat Verbeek's never been a GM. Um, he's got a fantastic scouting record over in Tampa. So,
0: but what does that mean? Okay, that's all fine and dandy. But what does that mean for? a ken holland that basically kills both positions i would put ken holland in
1: so on the same podcast elliot was talking about how uh over in edmonton and their gm search is going on they're going to be talking to a lot of people uh bob nicholson really likes to deal with guys he has connections with through hockey canada which ken holland happens to be one of them and in a similar situation they were talking about not bringing ken holland as the gm but bringing him in as the president and then having him teach Keith Gretzky the ways of being a Holy good sh- NHL GM, I I don't know about that. <laughs> these are all just uh, nothing was substantial. Elliot himself said, "Do not take these as anything." But the fact that he said it all is interesting. the The one thing that really caught me off guard that because a lot of people were saying that's just Elliot throwing crap at the fan, which it might be. Hell, that's all we do on this podcast. But saying Eisenman would come in a president role and bring Pat Verbeek, and, and he's mentioning him by name, that seems a little too specific yeah. to just be a guess.
0: Yeah, that's like, uh, there's a lot of details in that.
1: <laughs> exactly. And going. there's still a ton of time that, that might not entirely be true. Things can happen. Ken Holland might veto the whole thing. Chris Ilch might veto the whole thing. Do not take this as we or Elliot is saying, this is going to happen. But just with how specific it is, I can't think there's nothing there yeah other than putting a
0: timestamp stamp on when it's happening those are a lot of t- details and I again mean-
1: there's no guarantee that happens this offseason even if it does happen because ken holland is still under contract next year and chris ellich would have no reasons to jettison ken holland into the sun based on the job he's done over the last three years that being said, Ken Holland's contract is up at the end of next year, and maybe that's when Verbeek and Iserman, or just Eiserman or whoever, parades in and takes over. There is a lot of moving parts right now, and this could go a thousand ways, but damn, did that not intrigue me a little bit. I think
0: I'm getting to the point where I see Iserman less and less as the GM, and more of someone who takes control of the organization
1: from an operations standpoint. The Instead of the Shanna plan, it's the Iser plan.
0: Yeah, and I'm completely okay with that. Um, I really think we need somebody with, with some new eyes running the show, and I, I think that would be more of an ideal situation than just having Iserman as the GM and Ken Holland being like the president of
1: hockey operations. Well, before that report came out, my honest-to-God guess as to what was happening was Eiserman was going to come in as the Brendan Shanahan of Detroit and be the president yeah. of hockey operations, but Holland was going to remain as GM. That's yeah. legitimately what I thought was going to why happen. Why does everyone but-
0: think Ken Holland's going to leave and go to Seattle or go to Edmonton? Like, why? I have never I- really <sighs> seen any good reason or like any
1: sort of real evidence that he would want to even do that. But we don't have any evidence he wants to say. Because here's the thing, and it, it, that type of speculation, unless Ken Holland says it himself, is dumb. Because People generally, as they age, tend to have two things. one of two things happen. They get very comfortable where they are and they do not want to uproot their lives, which Ken Holland's been in Detroit since the 80s. Yeah. He's got his roots here. He is probably very comfortable in his life. Or the inverse happens where people tend to get bored of their situation and they want to switch it up and go to something new and exciting, which would then drive Holland to Edmonton <laughs> or Seattle. Have you we- seen our hockey team? There's nothing exciting. <laughs> He, but he would have a Connor McDavid in one of those markets. But, yeah. but that's the thing. We don't know where his mindset's at because this no longer is a hockey decision for Ken Holland at his age. This, oh, yeah. is a, this is a life decision for him. So if he wants to try something new and exciting, he's gone at the first chance he gets. But if he's very comfortable where he is and has no desire to uproot his life, he's going to be in the Detroit organization until the day he dies. Because even if they Chris Illich comes to him and says, Kenny, you're done as GM. We're bringing Iserman in. We're bringing Verbeek in. They're not just going to boot him to the curb they'd be like what position in this organization would you like yeah yeah and he's earned that he's been with the organization since the
0: 80s yeah he's got a couple rings he does (sighs) he can make he he they owe him that
1: yeah and again it's other than that that few year window where he was trying to keep the streak alive and made a lot of bad trades and bad signings the rest of his tenure has been good oh yeah that one window he had was so abhorrently bad.
0: Uh, yeah, it's hard to say like if it was him or, or his bosses trying th- to keep things going.
1: I think it was a bit of both, honestly. Yeah. The, I would imagine he had pressure from above to keep the streak alive, and he probably agreed with that and then made some poor decisions in reaction to it. But outside of that, before that, when he had infinity money to throw around in the league, he did it, and he did it well. Um, let's not forget, he did win a Stanley Cup in the salary cap era. Yep. Uh, then the team, then Lidstrom, and retired, and everything started to go into the shitter. And he made a lot of bad compensation decisions. Yep. And then, as soon as they missed the playoffs, he started going to a rebuild mode, and he's done well in that model. He's got, oh, yeah. he's got more draft picks than almost any team. Howard Tyler in the league.
0: looking like a bit of a diamond in the rough.
1: Their scouting track record under him has been amazing. Yeah. Still top of the league, despite having only what two picks in the top ten that whole time.
0: Yeah, it's wild.
1: Although one of those guys is leaving some room for concern. But anyways, that draft doesn't look very strong to begin with. I mean, he's going to be in Detroit as long as he wants to be in Detroit, even if it's not in his position, and people need to accept that.
0: And the nice thing about Edmonton, it's an old boys club as well, so he would yeah. fit
1: in real well. Yeah, and if he wants something new, Detroit has their succession plan just waiting for them.
0: The cards are stacked well for Detroit. Moving forward from a, a managerial executive standpoint
1: they are not hurting in that capacity and the thing is even though we're going to speculate on this every episode between now and july 1st we don't know what's going to happen eiserman's not said a damn thing holland's not said a damn thing nobody knows what's going to happen nobody not one person on the planet not us not elliot friedman not anybody and i wouldn't be shocked if we don't hear anything for a long time after july 1st I know. I I think I think whatever they're gonna do, even if it's not public, the wheels would have to be in motion before the draft. You can't have yeah. if the if Ken Holland is le- leaving the organization and they know he's leaving the organization July first. You can't have a lame duck GM running a draft in free agency. Yeah, you can't. That's just the reality of it. So even if it's just he steps down. Uh, Ryan Martin or Draper take over for a couple of weeks until Isman or whoever's out. I think from the we contract. can handle
0: the draft aspect for sure. It would just be the other aspects of being a GM that would need a, a real GM to handle.
1: Yeah, it's so it's going to be interesting. And yeah. I'm I'm not going to say excited, but I'm curious. I mean, in, yeah. I'm intrigued because this, like this is one of the few Detroit things this year the entire league is watching.
0: It's uh, I think because Eiserman's such a, the poster child and the, the hero of Detroit, I think that's why it's so exciting.
1: Also, can I just circle back to one thing you said earlier that I want to touch on where we're talking about Eiserman being to the air quotations to new eyes. So the new perspective on Detroit would be someone who was in Detroit from 1983 to
0: 2011. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. So anyways, while we're um, now that we're done talking about the Red Wings on a positive note, let's talk about the Leafs in a negative note. Oh, I can go on for days. Have at her, my friend.
0: Oh, you know what? I don't even really care about the Leafs. I love watching their fan base crumble. I love what I turn on TSN, and I see the Leafs giving up ample goals every night. It it That
1: makes me happy. It's And it's not just that they've been getting pumped the last few games. God damn it, Brad. I got it. Stupid sports net app. It's not just that they've been getting pumped the last few days. It's that it's been against non-playoff teams. They beat Philly 6-5, but the non-playoff Flyers still put five in on them. The game before that it was Chicago. They went down 5-0 to Chicago, a non-playoff team. They ended up making a game of that and lost 5-4. Yeah. But then last night it was a piece de Resistance. They yeah, get 6-2. Pumped, they get pumped 6-2. By the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa... That's in, that's inexcusable while they still had Stone, Duchesne, and Dezingle. They got pumped without them.
0: Yeah, Garrett Sparks, not ideal.
1: Okay, I legitimate question to any Leaf fans who watch this podcast, because admittedly I haven't been paying ton of attention to Toronto this year. But I feel like every game I've watched Garrett Sparks this year, or saw a game where Garrett Sparks played, he's gotten lit. Up. I, I, what is going on there?
0: Where's Curtis McElhenny now? Carolina, Carolina.
1: Doing very is well. Is he their backup? Him and Mrazic are kind of platooning right now. Okay. Yikes. Speaking of goalies doing well, where a team regrets getting rid of him. Mrazic's been real good lately. <laughs>
0: yeah, well,
1: that's, eh. those are the choices we had to make. Hey, but so was Jonathan Bernie yesterday. Anyways. Oh, God. Is, is Toronto going to get... Booted in the first round again.
0: Well, they'd play Boston, who looks real good right now.
1: I mean, Boston's got... So Toronto and Boston have both played 72 games. Boston's got 95 points. Toronto's got 91. Toronto's actually got more regulation or overtime wins and a better goal differential. But Toronto's also been imploding lately.
0: I, you know, the last 10 games of the season are where you find what kind of form a team is in. And for Toronto to be putting gasoline in the dumpster right now it is not good
1: i've heard from a lot of players though that momentum doesn't exist in the playoffs i you know
0: it it might not be momentum but your mindset your mentality you know you can say you look one game at a time but if you're terrible for the last 10-15 games that means something there's a that's a trend
1: yeah yeah
0: you know if you go into the playoffs with a bunch of losses and giving up five goals every game like you obviously remember that. And Boston looks good. They have some serious confidence right now. And confidence is everything, especially if you have home ice advantage. Well,
1: Brad Marchand literally did the McGregor walk after his OT goal. Oh, like, yeah. McGregor what? was, was in, in attendance. Oh, that's such a boss move. This this gets me back to the point we were talking about a couple episodes ago where the NHL needs more Brad Marchands. They need that kind of swagger. Oh, I know. They Every, need it.
0: Yeah, it's it's fun seeing people with... Personalities, regardless if people hate them or not, I'll you know with the golf the golf world has their 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 evil guy in Patrick Reed right now, and I love it because it gives you something more than to be like, yes, I hope this guy wins. It's like I hope this guy loses and doesn't even make the cut. I, I love that about golf right now, and I wish hockey had more of it.
1: But the heels need to win in order to make the losses feel good. Yeah, it's so true. Having a Marchand on Boston, having a Subban on Nashville, if you're pro or anti PK. It's good because they're doing well. It gives yeah. you rooting interest in the playoffs. Again, we're in the heart of Leaf Country, so my favorite team is the Red Wings. Any given night, my second favorite team is whoever's playing Toronto that night.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know what? If, if if momentum means nothing, then take
1: Toronto over Boston in the
0: first round. If that means nothing to someone, take Toronto over
1: Boston. But and I don't been... think it's. But Boston's been so injured this year. I know. We, we haven't really seen them firing at full capacity yet. And they're still second place in the division and four points ahead of Toronto now. And also 19 points behind Tampa.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, that's nothing against Boston. That's just Tampa is literally amazing this year.
1: So Tampa's got 10 games left. And if they win eight of them, they I think they break Detroit's all-time wins record.
0: I don't, oh, what's Tampa's schedule looking like?
1: It they, doesn't matter. Yeah. They're expected to beat whoever they play.
0: They have okay, so
1: two of those games are Ottawa and Montreal. Well, Montreal's fighting for a playoff spot, so they might be motivated at least.:
0: They got tr- They finished with Toronto and Boston.:
1: Tampa'll probably they be play wrestling Boston twice. And they'll probably be wrestling players in those last couple games, so I doubt they get it. But yeah, oh man. Speaking of personalities, do you want to talk about the bunch of jerks? Because I feel like not a lot of people are mentioning that they're in a play- they've they been in a playoff spot for like a couple of weeks now. Yeah,
0: God, heaven forbid they have some fun. And it keeps fans in the seats until the, the end of the third period.
1: There's basically those... So the, wild, the two wildcard spots right now are basically between Carolina, Columbus, and Montreal. Pittsburgh's relatively close, but they've been pulling away. Actually, wow. Carolina's only four points behind the Islanders. Interesting. But anyways.
0: They have a game in hand on Pittsburgh and two points back.
1: So Carolina's got 11 games left at 85 points. Columbus has 84 points with 10 games left and Montreal has 81 points with 10 games left. Basically, those are the wild card spots and it ain't looking great for Montreal at this point.
0: They've uh they've lost a lot of critical games and they're 4
1: and 6 in the last <laughs> well, 10. Well, they got shut out by Chicago last night, which isn't ideal. By the way, thank you Corey Crawford for getting me a shutout this week when I haven't even been paying any attention and haven't set my lineup and it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I had him this season. I dropped him cuz he got concussed and I was like, "Well, his season's done." I
1: had Jake Allen, so that yep. just became useless. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. this as as awful as the playoff race is in the West of just a whole bunch of teams trying to trip and fall into the playoffs, the East is going to be legitimately fun. Yes, this is where your attention should be paid. You should be if you have game center or center ice, you should be watching a lot of Carolina, Columbus, and Montreal games the rest of the year. I wonder if they play each other. At- Carolina and Columbus played each other this week in which <laughs> Carolina outshot Columbus by double. And Columbus won via shutout.
0: Uh, Carolina and Montreal play each other on next Sunday.
1: Ooh, that'd be a good one.
0: Um, that's all I got.
1: That's it? Those are the only times they play each other? That's, <clears throat> that's less yeah, fun.
0: That's not nearly
1: as fun. Could you imagine if Columbus missed the playoffs after loading up at the Deadline like that? Oh my night? goodness.
0: They don't play anyone else kind of exciting. Or Columbus doesn't. Columbus has Edmonton, Vancouver, Islanders, Montreal, Nashville, Buffalo, Boston, New York, Rangers, uh, and Ottawa. So Columbus is making the playoffs. Yeah. Unless they go on an absolute mess of a final 10, 11 games, you would think they make it.
1: Yeah. Columbus is making the playoffs. I, I think Montreal is going to be on the outside looking in when it's all said and done.
0: You know what? This is a year Montreal we all thought was going to be bad anyway. So if they don't make the playoffs, I don't think anyone's too
1: surprised. Yeah, but then they hurt the draft pick. They'll probably win the lottery. Who are we kidding?
0: Hey, yeah. Colorado going to get the first two picks.
1: And then Montreal will get picked three, and Detroit will pick six, despite being awful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good times.
1: <sighs> God, I hate the lottery division. Detroit's a, Detroit has a worse goal differential than Ottawa? How?
0: Um, That's what happens when you give up eight goals. Ugh. Although I'm sure Ottawa's up there. They also put up six on the Leafs last night, so yeah, that true. helps. There's 14 Gold differential right there. Gross.
1: All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we get into overtime? Um No.
0: Honestly, it feels like not much has happened. It's been well since the, the
1: things that have been happening, it's just not relevant to us. It's just the playoff yeah. races for, you know, teams who are enjoying hockey right now. Must be exciting. All right, so let's head into overtime then. Uh first questions are gonna be read out. From our Patreon patrons, remember every patron gets their questions read out every Sunday and midweek episode guaranteed because they're a patron. So make your voice heard, become a patron, and throw in your questions. So I hope I'm in the right thread here. So <laughs> first question goes uh, from Jeff Chen. He says, "Guys, is it me or is Adina Fanning far too many on far too many one timers? Seems like it happened on almost every game he played. Any thoughts? I'm going to chalk it up to nerfs." Yep. When you get into the NHL, you try to make an impression. You squeeze your stick a little bit too tight, and he, you can tell—he's playing a little uptight, um, which isn't always a bad thing. But in terms of timing and rhythm, yeah, it doesn't help you any. Yeah, I wouldn't look too much into it in nine games. Yeah, it's a small sample size. He'll be fine. Hey, his first NHL goal came off a one timer, so yep. You know, he's got that goal from at least. All right, next questions from Garrett TV. Hi, guys. I'm very impressed you've made this far without Ryan.
0: (laughs) Same. No, Ryan just keeps us on the rails. Yeah. We can handle it some
1: days. (laughs) A couple of prospect questions. What do you think of Ryan Suzuki? He's projected to be drafted anywhere from the low teens to the late first round, and in many cases, there are seven to eight centermen above him, three of which play on the US NTDP. If he's somehow available early in the second round, is he a guy we should target? Apparently, he's a very shifty playmaker, perhaps lacking physicality, and is also a bit young. But seems like he could be a steal as late, as a late first, early second. Sure, uh, I really like what little I've seen from him. And secondly, how do you effectively evaluate lots of top talent coming from the same team? The NTDP has too many top prospects to count. But if we rightfully critique certain guys in the NHL for being propped up by teammates, cough, cough, Advocate or cough, how do we evaluate this from a stacked pool of same team prospects in a draft? Cheers. All right, Garrett. So let's talk about Ryan Suzuki first. I like Ryan Suzuki uh, more than a lot of people. I have him as a mid first rounder. Um, I I don't see a reality in which he slips to the second round unless he's Joe Valeno 2.0. Suzuki is one of the most gifted passers of the puck and playmakers in the draft. He has a very high end hockey IQ. The drawback to him is his talent level. His just raw skill isn't as high as the guys who are ranked above him. This does sound eerily similar to Joe Valeno, but um, at the same point last year, I liked Joe Valeno a lot more than I like Ryan Suzuki because of his, I felt Joe's hockey IQ was higher, but they are similar players Again, Playmaking centers with high-end skating. Suzuki is guilty of trying to do too much at times, and he played for a very bad team this year. So I know a lot of people are starting to come off his bandwagon. I still think it's early for that. Um, but he's definitely dropped a few pegs in my rankings this year, just not as far as others. Now moving on to the NTDP question. It's it's tricky because, again, as much as we want to say Abdicator. As the example of being propped up, he was bad with great players and without great players yeah. this year. So it doesn't matter what you have to pay attention to is how do they do in the games where other key players are injured or they're playing on a different line? The The poster child for this this year has been Trevor Zegers because he spent most of the season with Jack Hughes. You have to look at the few games where he played on a line that wasn't with Jack Hughes and he did fine. This is where now when I do my prospect evaluations, I lean on stats a lot. It's not my be all end all, but stats do tell a story. I saw I've seen a few very interesting arguments about Cole Caulfield this year, where some people like Matthew Boldy more than Cole Caulfield, et cetera, et cetera, because you look at Boldy and he looks like a more dynamic player, but Caulfield's just putting up way more offense. In an instance like that, I tend to favor Caulfield because hockey IQ to me Trump's everything else. And if he's producing, he's doing something that Boldy isn't. But when a guy like Zegris is playing with a guy like Hughes, this is one of those times where you have to watch the skill set. Yep. Is he producing offense or is he just standing there and cleaning up what Jack Hughes does? Or is he just giving the puck to Jack Hughes and letting Jack Hughes do his things? You have to pay attention to each play individually who created the play, who drove the play, And even on the plays where Jack Hughes goes for a lap and Zegers just finishes it, watch the nuances. Was that a play anybody else could have finished? Was Zegris in the right spot? And most players wouldn't have known to go to that spot, therefore not giving Hughes the outlet. Scouting is impossible because there's so many little nuances to the game of hockey that you have to pay attention to that other sports don't have. Like baseball, it's easy to scout. Not easy, but easier. Can he hit? Can he throw? What are his numbers? It's it's almost impossible in hockey. Again, circling back to Ryan Suzuki. Ryan Suzuki is playing on a god-awful Barry team this year. Is that a pro for him that he still produced? Or is that a con? Because he wasn't able to prop the team up himself, and he didn't have anybody helping him. It's hard. So you can't... There's no set formula. There's no set way to scout a player. You just got to make your best guess based on what you see and what the numbers state.
0: Yeah, it's basically looking at who is an impact player and who is the beneficiary of an impact player. And evaluate and make your best guess that way.
1: Yeah. All right, next one is Chris Cannell. I can't wait to see just how off the rails this episode will be without Ryan to keep Brad Uh. from ranting about the Bills or Linkin Park's hybrid theory, which is a classic, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on you, fools. We actually kept it on the rails this episode. Bite me. I love you, Chris. Thank you for your support. Anyways, uh, for some reason, I'm very interested in the Sen's current downfall and the events leading to it. Someone should do an in-depth case study on it. Also, I feel like there's this narrative that Jack Hughes has peaked or stopped producing. He is exactly... he is at exactly two points per game. Where do you think that narrative is coming from? Okay, I'm glad you mentioned this because I actually did want to talk about this today because on Sportsnet's latest ranking, they had Capo Kakko above Jack Hughes now, and their reasoning was they were fit, they were comparing him very favorably to Jesperi Kotkiniemi, Patrick Laine, and a couple of the other recent Finns who have come out of the Liga where Caco is destroying it right now. Do Barry Kotkanemi or Patrick Liney right now strike anybody as first overall picks? No, so I don't know how that's justification to put him above Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes' numbers have actually improved as the season got on. I think the first half of the season, he was just under two points per game, and now he's just over two points per game. He produces equally against NCAA opponents as he does USHL opponents. There has been nothing in Jack Hughes' game to signify regression. Capo Kako has raised his game and has started catching up nobody's gonna argue that Kako has had a fantastic world Juniors and has a fantastic season in in league over in Finland Jack Hughes has done nothing to slow himself you down five that. assists the other night <laughs> yeah Jack Hughes now holds the USNTDB all time points record that he took from Clayton Keller in like 15 less games. And again, same thing, Cole Caulfield now holds the all-time goals record for the NTDP passing uh, Phil Kessel. Um, This whole conversation about Jack Hughes regressing is silly. He's improved as the season went on. Kako has improved at arguably a faster rate, but not by much.
0: Everybody loves talking about who the consensus first overall pick is, and that person right behind them. Oh, can he go first? Like, what's he done lately? And he has like a good, he's trending upward. And people are like, oh, like it's not as, the gap isn't as far as people think it is. And I think it's more just talk and conversation than anything substantial.
1: It happens every year, basically. Every, every year. Remember, there was a point where Jack Eichel might have went ahead of Connor McDavid until those last few months. It's, it's, it's not frustrating because I get it. And it's not a knock on Jack Hughes because it's just how how good Capo Caco's been. But there's been nothing I've seen that has even made me consider bumping Jack Hughes out of first overall at this point. This is the lose for Hughes draft.
0: Yeah, it's just conversation. Try to make the draft a little bit more interesting. Try to to create some storylines that probably don't even exist. Whoever gets the first overall pick, I think we all know who they're going to take.
1: All this is is just a credit to how well Capo Cacco yeah, has played this yeah, year. Exactly. That's all it is. All right. Next question from Lonnie Zone. Hi, gentlemen. It's times like these based on the current state of the wings when the podcast becomes an essential part of life. That one set of footsteps in the stand is the podcast carrying this fan through the last weeks of the season. Aw, thank you. So thank you for that. Also, Evans Vanick joke is not actually in slow motion. Had me barreled over laughing. <laughs> In listening to your offer sheet discussion, it got me thinking. Would you trade the last set of players acquired with those picks for the player? So would you trade four first-rounders, first-rounders—Zadina, Rasmussen, Choloski, and Svechnikov for Marner? Because I think that's a more reasonable way to measure it rather than stacking the player up against the best possible outcome for all those picks. That would be returned in compensation. Curious your thoughts and keep up the great work. Thanks, Lonnie. So, my short answer is, would I trade those four players specifically for Mitch Marner? My immediate answer would be no, but it's close. I would very much consider that. Yeah. Again, Rasmussen and Svechnikov are players you can very much stomach to lose, and it's not going to impact your team in any right. significant way. chelaski right now is looking to be a top two, three defenseman on this team, which... They don't have a lot in the, of those in the system right now, and Zadina could still become an elite 30 40 goal scorer. I don't think any of those players individually is going to catch up to Marner. And even if you just look at Zadina plus Chalosky, their value combined might be close to what Marner's is to the team, but I, I would absolutely consider that. But here's where your your point is a little misleading. We picked Dennis Chalosky, 20th overall, we picked Evgeny Svechnikov, uh, 19th overall. We picked Michael Rasmussen ninth overall. Right now, I would bet money on, at the very least, the Red Wings' next two draft picks being lower, like higher picks in the draft than any of those three players. Oh, yeah. If I, if you told me right now that we were going to sign Mitch Marner and we were giving up picks six, nine, 19, and 20 to get him, I'd probably do it. Yeah but that's not realistically where the Red Wings are going to be picking with the next four picks. It very well might be 1, 5, 12, and 19 on like a good progression. If
0: you've got a ton of ELCs and you're at the point where you're moving into draft purgatory, I think that's when you start to think about that option, like giving up four 15ths overall picks. Hell yeah, I'm doing that. But to give up top 10 picks for
1: two three maybe four years i don't know i don't think i'm doing that even even just looking at the next two seasons obviously detroit can't give up this pick but man if i i can't even do that knowing that there's a 20 chance or even a 15 chance the red wings get alexi lafreniere I, yeah. I can't yeah um even beyond that like the 2020 the top right now i'm gonna say the top Four to five of the 2020 draft is looking very strong between Lafreniere, Lucas Raymond, Alex Holtz, Quentin Byfield. Hell, even Cole Perfetti is getting in that mix. Jamie uh, Drysdale. I could not risk giving up a top five pick in that draft. It's
0: tough when you know you're going to be in the top 10 for at least a few years to really think about giving up four first.
1: Like If you do this, you are certain... That the players you acquire are going to bring the Red Wings into a playoff spot next year, and that answer is a no. So if you're going to offer sheet Mitch Marner and sign Eric Carlson and buy out Trevor Daly or Jonathan Erickson and you know, and you're pretty confident in the steps that Zadina Hronik and Cholosky will take next year, maybe
0: that's that's still a that's that's a, that's a that's a big boy play.
1: That is a hell of a lot that has to go exactly right just to even maybe make the playoffs and let's not forget
0: that's high risk. And I don't think high risk is in the vocabulary of the Red Wings organization. And
1: let's not forget the Red Wings got into the vision they're in because for a few years there, the goal was just to make the playoffs, not to win the cup. Yeah. Your goal is to win the cup, make the decisions that will win you a cup 10 years from now versus make the playoffs two years from now. Yeah. If that's the way you got to do it. Yep. But I love, I love the point you made up there by actually taking four Legitimate tangible pieces to see what the value might yeah. look like. All right. Joshua Bezura. Hey, boys, considering that hopefully a good draft, some nice and one really nice for agents. Blashill's contract ending, let me dream right, Eisman floating around like a specter of hope over Detroit, and some prospects getting looks at training camp, what would you consider to be a successful summer? What would you consider to be a failure? Personally, I think at least one of Hughes, Kako, Q, Eisman, Carlson, or at least Myers don't end up in Detroit, then it's a failure. There's way too much on the table to stamp out right now, even if the odds are against any of those things happening. It's the GM's job to beat the odds sometimes. Curious to see who reads the questions today. Hope you two can survive each other without Twitter's favorite host there to keep you in good line. Keep up the good work. All right. That Twitter poll is bullshit. I didn't see how it ended, but I saw I was losing by a lot. Very, it's all very early on.
0: I think you and I were a point percentage away from each other, and Ryan was like six ahead of us. So
1: we all know it's that's just fake news. It was bribery. Yep. It was a it was a biased poll, and I hate you all. Anyways. Um, so to consider a successful off season, it's tricky because you can't do anything about the draft. If, if we literally got Jack Hughes and nothing else happened, I would say that's a successful off season. Oh yeah. Um, but you, there's nothing Ken Holland or whoever in the Red Wings organization can control that. So we have to take the draft out of it, unfortunately, to be objective, I don't really care if the Red Wings make a big free agent signing cuz again as I've mentioned it's either you get superstar or nobody. I even a Tyler Myers I would not consider a successful um for uh offseason. So what I'm going to hinge this on is going to be simple. No bad signings. New coach. Okay? And by no bad signings, I mean if the Red Wings do not make a single free agency signing I'm considering that a success. We are not getting bogged down by another useless, bad contract. No more Thomas Vanix slotting in where a Svechnikov or a Zadina should. I'll take that as success. Because we're gonna get a good player in this draft no matter what. Yeah. With Detroit, based on the way the standings are shaping out, their worst, worst, worst case scenario is picking seventh overall. So I don't think they can pass anybody other than New Jersey. So that would put him fourth last. So even if three teams behind them win the draft lottery, they're picking seventh. So if that's your absolute worst case scenario, that's still getting you a Bowen Byram, a Peyton Krebs, and Alex Turcott. You're getting a, a good player there. As we all know, Blashill is going to be extended, but I still think that's a mistake. I still would consider that a failure. So if Blashill's back next year, it's a failure. But the counter to that again would be if we're not getting bogged down by another awful awful contract that's a win so and that being said the the obvious things are obvious if joel quenville comes in if the red wings get jack hughes or capo caco or if the red wings land eric carlson default it's a successful summer nothing nothing doesn't matter that's end of statement any one of those scenarios it's a it's a win for the summer as long as the organization doesn't do something catastrophically stupid to counter it so again I'm going into this offseason with very low expectations. We'll see how that plays out. There's not a lot to go on there. So did I do a pretty successful job there of uh, everybody not realizing that Evan left actually for a couple minutes Oh, there?
0: God. Large <laughs> coffees? What can I say?
1: There we go. All right. Next question. Rowan. Greetings equal runners-up in the recent WWP popularity contest. Maybe if you'd won, it could have been you in New York instead. Anyways, we will visit this again in the future because it was overshadowed by elite sniper Darren Helm scoring his 100th goal. Of course, it was a shorty because he is also an elite penalty killer. And when I when I say elite penalty killer, he has twice as many shorthanded goals as he does power play goals in his career. Crazy good. I mean, if you don't play on the power play. But anyways, happy to see he was then rewarded and went back to being an elite top liner Darren Helm and in the win versus the Isles. Hopefully he stays there all next season as well. Jersey's time. Favorite OHL jersey? That
0: one the Kitchener Rangers did this year for, oh God, I can't speak. Remembrance Day. It was the ones like, they always
1: wear? Their no, thirds? It or a,
0: it was like a navy blue with like white and it had like oh, a and the gray on it, yeah. I think. Let me see if I can find it. It was filthy.
1: It was. Well, that being said, the Kitchener Rangers uh, third jersey the red with the soldier on it. Yeah. Are my favorite really. by a lot, but that's going to sound very homerish that uh, the two of us pick Kitchener. So if I had a non-Kitchener opinion, there's a lot of really good ones in the OHL. Uh, this one. Oh, one. yeah, yeah. That one was disgustingly yeah. nice. Um, there's a lot of really good jerseys in the OHL because junior teams aren't afraid to experiment like NHL teams are. I really love Guelph's black, burgundy, and white. I really love, um, a lot of people hate it, but I actually love the battalion jerseys.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah,
1: the military type jerseys.
0: I really like Sault Ste. Marie's. Nobody. They're the Red Wings jerseys with stars. I know, but I the whole it looks good on a junior team.
1: No, it does. It it does. It very much does. I Um,
0: really like
1: London's green and gold. I don't mind them. I don't love them. There's a couple things of minor tweaks I'd make to the jersey, like put an actual logo instead of just where it says Knights, and get rid of the piping. And I think you got something there. Um, What are the ones? I'm not going to waste too much time on this. There's a few few I hate in the OHL. Like Windsor's are offensive. Um, Hamiltons are offensive Uh, And then there's a couple A bunch of other Sudbury's are underrated I like those Yep Ottawa's Barber Pulse Always a fan
0: (laughs) Yeah, classic
1: The Ottawa 67's jerseys Are so ridiculous I'm a fan
0: Yeah, yeah Uh,
1: Yeah, definitely That's as far as I'm going into that Okay, on to K-Waz What's up dudes? I'm gonna go ahead And say that after watching Yesterday's game It's hilarious that we actually Win some games Bernier actually had a really nice game, and for a good portion of the season, he's actually been a passable backup, agree or not. Agree. I'll actually say over the last two months, he's been really good. Yeah. Uh, As good, if not better, than Howard for a lot of stretches in that time. Yeah. Um, Which is good, because we have him for two more years, so that makes me happy, because he was real bad the first half of the season. Oh, yeah. Uh, Side note, I've been thinking about getting a new jersey since my white Nyquist one is now kind of obsolete. Suggestions? Steve Ott. Pick someone young who's going to be here for a while. Cause Let's going to Bertuzzi. Was, there you go. I, I would go young but safe. So Zadina? Zadina. Larkin would be your obvious one. Uh, cheloski Hronik. Bertuzzi's probably pretty safe. I, I would definitely say you, but God knows what's going on with management and him because I personally own an Athenasiou and I have no regrets. But yeah, someone along those lines. Or go right out of left field and just preemptively get a Joe Valeno. Yeah, sure. Why not? Roll the dice. Anyways, with playoffs coming up, which team do you think will make a surprise push? And who will surprise in the playoffs itself? Well, Who will surprise in the playoffs? Because, yeah, it's kind of hard to say any surprises in the push. <sighs> because the East is pretty obviously down to nine left. And with only ten games left, I think it's too late for anybody beyond that to make a push. Yeah. Same with in the West. I think it's you've got your nine... Uh, the teams in the playoffs plus Minnesota, maybe. But if we're actually talking about what's going to happen in the playoffs itself, surprise teams. I will go with Columbus. Would that be a surprise at this point, though?
0: I'd be surprised if they make it. <laughs> Fair.
1: I'm going to say. I'm going to say Dallas. Yeah, there's a team who should be El- doing a lot better. Elite top line. Um, now when Zuccarello returns, they'll have a bit more depth on offense. And Ben Bishop, who's quietly having a Vesna caliber season. So I'll always bet on a hot goalie. And right yeah. now that could be Ben Bishop when he returns from his minor injury. Yeah, I agree. Other than that, I don't think... And none of the divisional seeds right now, I would really say, would be a surprise. So you can't no. pick any of them. I, I was kind of teetering between Dallas and maybe... Maybe Carolina, but I don't trust Carolina's goaltending enough to confidently say that. Yeah. All right, Joseph Fournier. Hey, guys. Interesting take on tanking teams last week. I think one of the problems with tanking in the current NHL is the level of parity. It makes for more competition at the top of the standings as well as the bottom. I like to see three things happen. First, no more loser point for an OT loss. Award only one point for a shootout win. This will prevent teams from hanging on for the guaranteed OT point. The second idea was floated on Twitter. Cap the number of times a team can place in the top three in the draft lottery during a five or seven year span. This will prevent teams like Edmonton from ruining career after career and hopefully for smarter rebuilding decisions to be made. Last, make the draft lottery eligible only for teams eliminated from playoff contention after 75 games. This will prevent playoff caliber teams who nearly miss from striking gold with the top three pick. But like the ideas proposed last week, we know the NHL will never implement change at any scale like this hats off to you fellas well thank you sir uh so let's go over this i'm gonna kind of branch off your award only one point for a shootout win idea i have been begging for a three-point system for that years will never happen but it okay oh three points for a regulation win oh it makes so much sense two points for an ot or a shootout loss one point for an ot or shootout win so reward give them the extra point for winning in regulation
0: what about if we just did two
1: points for a
0: win one point for an overtime or shootout win and zero for losing
1: isn't that what he suggested
0: uh,
1: i don't know award I don't only rem- one only award only one point for a shootout win oh
0: there was a lot of a lot of options there and yeah, i didn't remember that that one. was
1: his first one yeah i i that's I prefer that to the current system, but I think ultimately the three-point system solves most of the problems.
0: If teams are getting 50 points in a season, I think it would look really bad for those teams that suck. And I think they wouldn't
1: go for it because they're like,
0: well, if we've got 30 points halfway through the year, well, nobody's in- going to come to games and yeah. we're not going to make any money
1: in the 3 point system that alleviates that.
0: Yeah, but because that's, you're still that's getting your loser point. way too progressive for the NHL. So then
1: if Detroit ends still is at like 80 points but Tampa's at 170. Yeah, it's that's way too progressive for the NHL. Um as for capping the number of times teams can win the draft lottery of 5 or 7 year span, 100% I'm here for it.
0: Yes. Or if you get the first overall pick, the highest you can draft the next year
1: is Four. the only something the only counter argument i will have to this is in a situation like edmonton where they're legitimately trying to win is just sheer and utter incompetence that are preventing them from doing it could you imagine right now if edmonton was not allowed another top three or top five draft pick or whatever it is and everyone else would be happy except for edmonton <laughs> but their fan base would be sitting in purgatory for like a decade because of it
0: they would be permanently rebuilding
1: and then um, the last point, I, I get where you're coming at on that one, and it's better than nothing, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of the capping it. If, if you're going to do something like that, you kind of have to open it up for the chaos or else it's not going to be fully effective.
0: There is no perfect system for this that it makes everybody happy. Because
1: there's only going to be a handful of teams eliminated before 75 games. So while well, I get what you're saying is if they know that they're going to be picking top three no matter what, they're... It kind of takes that urgency away. You have to give them that urgency, be like, hey, if five games from now, you know, Florida's gonna be coming, so you better get a running start. Yeah. Right? So I'm I'm a fan of that. And it says we have one more comment here from Connor Jagger, but my app is not opening it. So let me. Evan talk while I pull it up on my computer behind me. Should I
0: do the ask WWP Twitter ones? Do it and I'll pull it up on. Okay, the first one is from Josh Stella. He says, if Basho were not to come back, who would you guys like to see the Wings go after? Would Joe Quenville be an option for the Red Wings? Uh, yes. Joel
1: Quenville would very much be an option for him because they're one of the few organizations that will be able to throw the money at him that he commands. And also, it would be a homecoming of sorts for him. So I could see him doing that. Yep. Uh, my next Two most desired candidates after that would be Ricard Gronberg and Ralph Kruger. Bring an outside voice for a fresh perspective.
0: Yep, yep, I agree with that. Uh, Yeiser Bays says, uh, If you had to trade Athanasiou or Mantha as part of the rebuild, who would you prefer to keep and why? Tough. That's a lot more harder than it used to be.
1: Yeah, that would have been an easy Mantha for me at the beginning of the season, but now I don't know. I still think Mantha's raw tools are elite. Me too. But he just—he's not putting it together. His—I'm starting to really question his hockey IQ. And to me, Mantha is kind of the poster child for what would he look like with proper coaching and development right now. Yeah, it just yeah. looks like he makes—he's been making a lot of bad decisions with the puck. But he's got the skating, he's got the hands, he's got the shot. But I mean, Athen, if Athanasius scores thirty this year, I don't—it'd be hard to go against him.
0: Yeah, and if is sure is a lot more exciting to watch these days um holographic charizard says uh, long tweet do we have that's not a long tweet this is pretty short long tweet do we have a projected cap space number for next season can we go over who needs to be signed long term the next two seasons also if we picked five who or would whoever at that spot not be a starter off start
1: okay so- this is
0: not much english Okay, so Why let, is it
1: bad for Cronwell to be number six, seven, so he gets a 1,000? Okay, so first question. Uh, cap space, right now, It's the cap for this season was 79.5. That's projected to go up to, um, I don't know if they've released the exact number, but I think it's about 82 to 83 million next year. I believe. Don't quote me on that. I know they were talking about using the escalator, but um, what was the next question?
0: Can we go over who needs to be
1: signed long-term the next two seasons? long term for detroit
0: i i guess yeah uh
1: that would be bertuzzi mantha athanasiu because all their contracts expire at the end of next season
0: also if we picked five who or would whoever at that spot not be a starter off start i
1: don't know what that means
0: okay i think that means are they going to be on the roster if we pick at five next
1: season would they be on the roster If we were picking five, no. I don't see a single player in this draft uh, outside of using Kacko who I can confidently say will be in the NHL
0: next year. Okay. And then it said, is it bad if Cronwell is just the sixth or seventh D man so
1: he gets 1,000? It depends who he's replacing. If Cholosky and Horonic are up and we have traded or bought out Erickson or Daly to create that space for Cronwell, I'm okay with that. Because as bad as Cronwell has been this year, I don't think Daly or Erickson are any better. So if he's replacing one of them, for sure, I'm here for it. But if it comes at the expense of Choloski or Hronik playing full-time next year, I am not about that.
0: Yeah. Um. Do you have that last question? It's loading very...
1: I think something's wonky is going on with Patreon today because everything's loading slow on it. The app was screwy. The website's being screwy.
0: Good times. Um, okay, I'll go one more. Woodson number two says... Uh, Drapes has been Kenny's right-hand man for a while now. Will he get a GM shot somewhere anytime soon or potentially follow Kenny if he goes to Seattle or Edmonton?
1: It's tough to speculate on like we were talking about. we did, There's so many moving pieces, and there's so many ways this offseason could go for Detroit. I I hazard to even make a guess as to where a lot of these guys are going to end yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, All right,
0: I've found got it? it. There it I've is. I've got it.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to move the mic to actually turn around and read this. Because if everybody's wondering why this is difficult, like my laptop's behind me as we're <sighs> recording. So, all right, Connor Jaeger. Hey, boys. Is it just me or has Danny Kaiser looked really solid this season? I understand it's not hard to look good when compared to the rest of the decor, but he has played well and thinks he deserves some praise. Almost like Ryan McDonough light. What do you guys think? As always, keep up the good work. Yeah, I think he's had a good year. I think he's had a strong season. Now, I'm not going to go and say because uh, we I, we kind of had this conversation on Twitter yesterday um, when I threw out a post about it. I'm not saying Danny DeKaiser at the current way he's playing is worth his contract, but I'm saying Danny DeKaiser is playing like a very solid middle pair defense in the NHL right now, Yep, which is not what he looked like the last couple seasons. So he's he's had a very nice bounce back season. He's made really smart decisions with the puck. As uh example on athens second goal yesterday, he still has that offensive touch where he, he makes a lot of smart decisions in the offensive zone I still have a ton of concerns about his foot speed but he's been moving the puck well yep. he's reduced his number of turnovers yep. not that there are none but he's reduced it and a lot of his turnovers could be attributed to his teammates being in a, the wrong spot yeah I'm I'm happy with the way the Kaisers played this year not worth the contract but he's definitely worthy of being a middle pair defenseman on a good NHL team.
0: Absolutely. Um next Twitter question is from Drew Mello. Outside of dropping Tro. Is that is that a word? Outside of dropping Tro and taking a big dump on Kenny's dropping desk?
1: Dropping Trow, short for trousers. That's trow? I don't I don't see Okay.
0: It. Uh, and taking a big dump on Kenny's desk. What does Blashell have to do to make this his last season with the wings? Seriously, give me a scenario.
1: One more time, I'm trying to pull up the name level. So
0: what does Jeff Blaschel have to do to get fired outside of pooping on Ken's desk? I don't
1: know. I don't know. (laughs) I do not know if there's a scenario in which that happens.
0: Yeah, he'd have to do a lot.
1: Um, This is really irritating me that Patreon literally changed the entire layout of their website yesterday, and this is the first time I'm seeing it. Yeah. So... Sorry, I'm just trying to find everything on Patreon right now For all our patrons And uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm struggling right now
0: Yeah, it's uh, it is, looks way different
1: This is very different I can't even find our list of patrons right now
0: We don't like change around here No, um, right. Which, okay, so there's another one I think this is the last one uh, Don says Which scenario would be harder for you all to swallow the, pits, uh, the Penguins missing the playoffs And winning the lottery Or them making the playoffs and winning another cup I would oh god I can't stop. One
1: that directly affects us. I uh, know I do not want them to win another cup. Oh like, really? If we're just talking about like what would objectively make me angry, it would be Pittsburgh winning another Stanley Cup cuz you get a player like Jack Hughes to win the cup. Yeah. So if they skip the middleman and just win the cup, I'm pissed.
0: Yeah. Oh. Pittsburgh winning winning another cup is so boring for the NHL. Pittsburgh having any success in the playoffs is boring for everyone who, who enjoys hockey, except for Pittsburgh fans. I want to see less Pittsburgh. I want to see less Patriots. I don't even watch football. <laughs> also, uh, Bill Belichick without his shirt on. A lot of hot takes on uh, social media lately. Don't want to know what you're doing on social media, Evan. I don't know why I saw Bill Belichick in just a swimsuit a lot this week. I don't know how that that got into my social media, but uh, yeah,
1: less Pittsburgh, please. You want to hop over to Reddit, or do you want me to do it? Um,
0: you can do it. I think that's it for questions on Twitter. Some are like from like three days ago, so there's no way people were proactive.
1: All right, keep talking. I gotta find Um, this because now that I'm done, now that I figured out the new Patreon setup
0: maybe there is one more i don't know if we've three days ago what would that be thursday friday
1: friday Uh, Thursday. we wouldn't have got to that one
0: um so eb ezel says uh now that the red wings are officially out and we have to watch everyone else have fun can we turn the wwp into an aihl
1: fan podcast Uh, the australian ice hockey league they i did not know that existed It does. It's not bad. I actually recognized a couple names uh, of guys who played in that league. So from what I gather, it's probably about on par with about a good Canadian senior A-league in terms of skill level, So, which is to say not bad.
0: Every game is a home game for a team because they only have one arena.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So hopping over to Reddit now that uh, the technical difficulties I was experiencing over here are now through. So, yeah, go figure. Ryan misses one episode and Patreon melts down on us.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. Typical. It's all Ryan's fault. Classic
1: really. Ryan. Anyways. All right. Uh, let's see. We've only got a few here, so we can go through them all. All right. Hockey 0284. I hear people downplay Valeno and MacIsaac stats because they are playing in the Q, and that is apparently a high-scoring league. So can you shed some light on the differences in the between the CHL leagues, WHL, OHL, and QMJHL? Are people implying that if Valeno's entire team moved from the Q and played in the OHL or WHL, he wouldn't have as many points? And if the Q isn't regarded as high as the other leagues, why is everyone so high on Lafreniere and the points he is putting up? I don't see an asterisk next to his name because he plays in the Q. Okay, so to very much generalize uh, the differences between the leagues, it essentially boils down to population. There's a lot more talent to pull from in Ontario versus the other provinces. So generally, that's why the OHL tends to be the stronger league. The WHL tends to get bogged down by a lot of um, the travel for those kids is awful. Yeah. So they have a weird, unbalanced schedule because of it. And the Quebec League has the lowest population, I believe, to pull from of the three leagues. So it just comes down to that.
0: Yeah, Ontario that- has this city called Toronto. And yeah. they basically just make hockey players.
1: The, G- the entire GTA region produces an unholy amount of top level hockey players. Oh yeah. Well, what's the GTA? That's got like the total area's got to be close to ten million people now. That's like a third of the population. Even like
0: we're starting to be considered
1: part of it, and we're an hour away. From and the we're another five hundred thousand people. Yeah. So that that's a large reason for it. Um, that being said, when you're judging players, everything is relative. So when I look at how good Lafreniere or Valeno's doing in the queue right now, I do not look at the raw numbers and go, oh, my God, they hit 100 points. They must be elite. Lafreniere's a 17-year-old who's third in QMJHL scoring against guys who are one, two, three years older than him. That's, That's what important. makes him elite. He is light years ahead of everybody else his age, and he's putting up very similar numbers in the queue as to what Sidney Crosby did at the same age. That's why people are high on Lafreniere. Again, same thing with Joe Valeno. Joe Valeno has players in the queue a year and two years older than him, yet he has the best points per game in the entire queue. Yep. Same with Jared MacIsaac. He's the same age as Joe Valeno, and he leads the Quebec League in goals for defensemen. Everything is relative. So, yeah, the queue is, generally speaking, the weakest of the three leagues. And it doesn't mean that the top-end teams aren't good. The Katie Bathurst-Teton won the Memorial Cup last year, so the Quebec league currently holds the mem cup because it just takes one very stacked team so what's happened this year in the queue is the top four teams are just toying with the rest of the league but joe valeno plays on one of those four teams so if his team transferred to the o they would do just fine so when you're judging a player in a weaker league look at his stats relative to his peers because if joe valeno was just like near the top 10 top 20 in scoring. I wouldn't take it as much, but the fact that he's already over hundred points, despite missing three weeks for being away at the world juniors. And the fact that he leads the queue in points per game, he's the best player in that league this year. Yeah. That's what it breaks down to. So that's why the hype train on him is so high. McIsaac's not, I'm not as optimistic about, but again, everything relative to his peers is saying he's having an exceptional season and should be paid attention to the only the the one criticism I would have about them is they both play for those top four teams in the queue right now. So they do have a lot of easy nights right now. Yeah. But even if you look at like a lot of Joe Valendo's like seven, one wins, he's only getting a point or two in those games. It's not yeah. like all his points are coming from those games. Yep. So again, take it with a grain of salt, but also there's very much valid reasons to be excited. Mm-hmm. All right. Trigidi you probably pronounced that wrong. Hey guys. Athanasiu just ended his 26th goal of the season. Fingers crossed he gets to 30. Do you think he can stay in these numbers over the next few years, or do you think that he will mainly be a 20 goal scorer? I think he can stay in these numbers for a few more years, but as a guy whose game relies very heavily on his speed, by the time he turns like 27, 28, 29, his regression will likely be faster than most players. Yeah. Because he will lose that speed aspect to his game. It's he's not like Larkin, who Larkin's adapted to produce office in, in a bunch of different ways. Athanasius only got a couple ways he produces offense, and the main one is his speed. So,
0: yeah, the, a lot of a lot of the guys who keep their production up aren't super fast. Yeah, they have incredible hockey IQ and they have incredible hockey
1: ability outside of their skating. Yeah, so um, I don't think Athanasius will fall off a cliff. He'll still be very fast and he'll still be an effective player. But I would only expect him to keep his 30-ish goal pace for he's what 24 now so i would yep. say 3 to 4 more seasons. Yeah. Yeah, i agree with that. Okay. Um and then last one for the day, Ando 772. Morning boys. If the draft lottery doesn't fall our way and we end up with some ridiculous position, do you think they will trade up spots to get a higher pick? B, take what we're given and just go hard in FA. C, possibly both. D, none of the above. Cheers, fellas. Also, just a quick adding, adding them in. Rasmussen only played eight odd minutes. What the hell? Blashill, just doing Blashill things on that last point there. So, Evan, what do you think? If the Red Wings pay, pick, let's say, sixth. What was you, the question? Sorry. Okay, so let's just, say, <laughs> let's just say the Red Wing, the draft lottery doesn't go the Red Wings way and they pick sixth or seventh. Oh, God, kill me now. Trade up. Take what take just take someone at the pick and go hard and F in free agency. See both, D none of the above.
0: Honestly, I would if we are not in the top five, I want us to trade back and take Spencer Knight. Interesting. Seriously. Seriously. I think he is going to be a stud. And you know, we may have a lot of goalie prospects and everyone's like, oh, this guy could be our next starter. Spencer Knight would be our starter. He like we don't have any more questions about goaltending. That is that settles it, and I, I don't like using a first round pick on a goaltender, but when everyone is in consensus of saying this kid is going to be someone special, and goaltending is a huge part of the NHL, I would prefer us to trade back
1: and take him. Hey, Philip Larson just got named uh, the NCHC uh, All Rookie Team,
0: and I've never heard anyone say that he's going to be a All Star
1: goaltender in the NHL. I've said it's possible. I don't trust your opinion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, so uh, to me right now, uh, Detroit's biggest immediate need is a top six center. Yeah. And the top 10 in this draft is loaded with them. So I think the Red Wings, wherever they're picking the top 10, they're just going to make the pick. And unless they're picking second or third, in which case they'd probably take a real long, long hard look at Kako or Colson. I think they're going to take a center. So I think they would just... Pick whoever they're going to pick. I think they're going to take runs at some big names in free agency. So I think my my best answer here is B with a little bit of C. So they're going to take what they get, and then they're going to try and grab a guy yeah. in free agency.
0: Yeah. I like to just make something a little different, throw out another possibility.
1: All right. So that's the end of this episode of the winged wheel podcast i would go through all of Ryan's spiel exactly as he says it but honestly i don't ever pay attention to him while he's doing it so i will just say uh thank you to our patrons namely our name level sponsors which i was finally able to find on the new layout which is sean levine chad hiresack sky carcass Arjun shanker uh clayton van dyken mike reed langabeard Derek shipper kaylin wood charlie elkin stan olson ryan lewis dan bell Hannah Lee, and that's that. If I missed anybody, I apologize. This new layout is screwing with me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Winged Wheel Pod, at Brad Crisco, at at Hockey Town Evan, at Ryan Hannah, WWP. And uh, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, all those other things, we're everywhere now. The website landing page is there. It's not done. We've got a temp page up, but that's coming soon. And uh, don't forget to let us know if you are coming to the pregame meetup in the... uh, April 6th game against Buffalo let us know we are going to be booking that table room whatever we're going to need based on the turnout in the next couple hours so if I need to call back and adjust the numbers I need to know that ASAP so keep your uh, eyes peeled to the website and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook for any more information on that
0: and if you want to be in our March Madness bracket uh, $5 and up gets you in yeah um please don't pick a 16 seed unless you like golden retrievers